Well, good morning. How are we doing? Awesome. Well, welcome to Kensington. I want to invite you guys to go ahead and stand with us. Just as we start singing, we're going to have a little bit of fun. Here we go. that when we can sing together, that when we come together, that there's something interesting about 
uh, it almost seems in, in part of God's creation to be able to sing together in unison. Some of us sing amazing, some sing out of key a little bit, like me. Uh, but when we're singing together, it feels like we're on mission and moving forward together. And that's just kind of a powerful way to begin any day. So we're so glad to see each one of you. Hey, how many of you were here for our Easter services? Were part of any of those at all? Were those pretty incredible, man? Seriously, with like aerialist up here and arts and music, and I just loved it. It was so great. And many of you might have been like first time guests and you're coming back, and we are sincerely glad that you're here. Uh, we had a lot of questions too about. Uh, how long has Kensington been here in Clarks and things going on? We, we love great questions. And speaking of great questions, uh, we've got a course called Alpha. And if you find yourself coming in and out of service and stuff and you have more questions about your faith or like questions like today in our series, Riding the Storm, like, God, where are you when I need you the most in difficult times? Like uh, at Alpha, it's an eight-week session. They do it around dinner. It's at our Orient campus. It starts actually on Monday. And you get more information, um, see it on the slide up here about it, but it's just a great place because we believe great questions are really the beginning of a great journey. Uh, it really is. And so we just, we love that. And so if you ever find yourself in those moments, like don't be afraid, like you can't ask the questions. Go to Alpha, ask the tough questions and like really find good community in the process of it too. So speaking of great questions, you may have asked one when you walked in this place, when you went to go get your coffee uh, or check your kid in or just get a bagel. And you said, why is there a Harley Davidson in the middle of the lobby, right? Anybody ask that? Did anybody try to jump on it and rev it up? Oh, yeah. I, I was dying to get on that bike and just rev it up, but yeah, they wouldn't let me. Anyhow, that is there because it's part of our Everyone campaign. Some of you remember the video just a, probably about a month, month and a half ago. George Day Lanuez uh, is the Harley Davidson um, uh, dealership owner. It's a Wolverine one. It's like, I think, the top four. It's in the top four of the nation. Around the world, it's huge. And uh, he's right next to our Clinton Township campus, and he actually donated that uh, to kind of where we could raffle it off. You can get it. Here's the deal. Uh, 30 bucks will get you one ticket, but listen to this, right? $50 will give you three tickets, and all the proceeds go to the Everyone Campaign, Clinton Township Building, all the different initiatives we're doing. And you, yes, you, could win that Harley-Davidson riding out. Fellas, come on. Look at over your ladies right now. Can you imagine? Get on the back, babe, right? And just like revving it up. Maybe you've never ridden one, you'll make it 10 feet out of the driveway and spill, but still, what a great, great thing. So, and that whole story is awesome. Did you know, again, some of you know this, some of you may not have known this, so, that he gave an easement, gave part of the property so we could have a driveway getting into our new campus. I mean, it's just such a cool story, awesome thing going on. We, we, we believe that that's how God works, not just here in a church service, but he works through people all around, and we believe this too kind of introducing our move out conference, that he wants to work through you in a very specific real way. A lot of people just relegate and say, God can only work in a church service. It's like, no way, not at all. Not at all. Man, we hope we spark or ignite a fire in your heart here that you, when you leave this place and you get out of here, that you recognize that God wants to do really powerful, amazing things through you and in you right where he has put you. So check this video out. It kind of really covers what the Move Out Conference is all about and what God might be nudging and inviting you to join with Him in doing. So if you're at all like me, maybe you like coming down to Detroit's Eastern Market to grab some farm-fresh food, hang out with some friends, check out the local art scene, and just soak up the culture of the city. But what if we were able to see a place like this as more than just a fun spot to hang? What if we actually saw this as the church? So 
there's a good chance if you're watching this right now that there's a place just like this in your own life where God's already working and he's calling you to join him. It could be at where you work. It could be in your local school. It could be at your kids' sporting events. It could be anywhere. This is really good, man. Thank you. So on April 20th and 21st, we're hosting the Move Out Conference at the Troy campus. This conference has got one idea in mind, to connect you to God's calling on your life. We want to help you develop a plan and see you move out in action, becoming the church, loving and serving the people that God has placed all around you. Coming here from author, speaker, and pastor of New Song Church in California, Dave Gibbons. What would the church look like if it's not contained on a piece of land? The CEO of the New York City Rescue Mission, Craig Mays. If there's a child that is homeless, you don't bring them in so that you can get them into heaven. You bring them in because they should be homeless. Pastor of Grace Midtown in Atlanta, Georgia, Matt Reynolds. We want to be a part of the kingdom that is building a culture that honors God and one another. Or are we just going to be a part of our own little kingdom, building our own little life? And founder of Kensington Church, Steve Andrews. People that are launching new initiatives, new dreams, new ideas, new ministries that that are going to change the way people live. We believe that you are the church, and it's time for us to move out. To register, hit up kensingtonchurch.org slash move out. Man, I'm super excited about that, and I want you to be too, because I really think in a big way that weekend, April 20th, 21st, it's just a big boom, and it reminds us that like you are the church and that God wants to do really amazing things through each one of you. And you might say, how could God ever use me? Don't ask that question. Say, God, how do you want to use me? What spectacular way that you built me, you made me, the sphere of influence that you've given me, the people you put around me? Like, how is God working and moving in you now? And, uh, and plus, I'm telling you, Dave Gibbons, unbelievable speaker that's going to be there, and he's written a book too, and he just really gives incredible insight about how God can move through us in really specific, unique ways that we never thought possible. So, and just exciting stuff going on here. Well, hey, super glad you're here, but I want to invite you to do me a favor, stand up, but before you shake hands, go ahead and stand up, pull out your phone on your way up, okay, and hold your phone up. So pull your iPhone, your Droid, your Galaxy, whatever you got, pull it out, hold it up, let me see that you got it. Right? I, I love this last service. I saw everybody standing up holding their phones up. There was like a seven-year-old that stood up, pulled, pulled their phone out. So you're going to use this in the next few minutes in an interactive part of our service, okay? You're going to have to use the light feature on it. So I just want to kind of prime the pump, let you know that's coming. Now you actually can say hi, shake a hand, say hello to somebody that's right next to you, okay?
when my girls were, uh, my oldest girls were five and seven, I think, uh, there was a song they used to sing. They used to sing it in the car, like, every trip over. <laughs> I, I memorize it. But it was taken from a, a scripture from the book of Isaiah. Let me read it to you. He says, Do you not know? Have you not heard? The Lord is the everlasting God, the creator of the ends of the earth. He will not grow tired and weary, and his understanding no one can fathom. He gives strength to the weary and increases the power of the weak. And this is the part I remember the kids singing. Even youths grow tired and weary, and young men will stumble and fall. But those who hope in the Lord will renew their strength. They will soar on wings like eagles. They will run and not grow weary. They will walk and not be faint. I was uh, sitting down in the front. I was kind of watching you guys when we were doing the phone thing. And, uh, man, there's a lot of questions, a lot of struggles, a lot of people in the storm right now. And that's a great question is, where is Jesus in the storm? Is he there? Just this past week, I want to share with you some of the, the things that I've been privy to in my life. Just me. This, this Friday, a couple days ago, I officiated a funeral of a man who had been missing for eight days, and they found him dead on Easter Sunday, his family. I did that funeral on Friday. I have a good friend at our campus who's scheduled for open-heart surgery about eight days from now. I was praying for her. A lot of anxiousness in the family, you can imagine. Talked to a, a good friend a couple weeks ago who was uh, released unexpectedly from a job that he'd had for almost 20 years, just out of the blue. No idea it was coming. So he doesn't know what the future holds. My daughter and her husband for the last three months have been fostering a beautiful little girl and they've just fallen in love with her. And you get it, Wednesday... They had to give her back to a a, a situation, a family situation is tentative at best. Just the heartbreak they're feeling. I spoke with a woman on Easter Sunday, just diagnosed with breast cancer. And I talked to a friend who this last week uh, officiated a funeral for a 14-year-old boy who committed suicide in a community close to here. So my life is real. This storm thing isn't reserved for a few, right? Life is hard. And a lot of us in this room are in it right now. So I just, I just wanted to invite you, if you would, to just go before God and ask him to meet us here today. Um, let's, let's pray. Okay. Father, we come to you because in our humanness, life is tough. Um, And every one of us has experienced storms. And if we haven't, they're coming. And so today, though, we come and we've got questions. Um, We've got questions and fears and anxieties that we're holding. A lot of us that nobody else even knows that we're carrying. And I pray, God, that today you would meet us in an amazing way. That you would make yourself known to us and help us in this time to understand who you are in the midst of the storm. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.
you know, it's interesting when I read that verse, and it starts off and it says, you know, do you not know? Have you not heard? And I thought, gosh, man, that kind of sounds insulting. It's like, duh, hello. But I don't think that's the spirit of it at all. I think really it's more like an invitation of hope and excitement. It's like, have you not heard? Did you not know who God is? And today I want to share with you that the stories that we're in, okay, that every story, whatever the appearance of it is, whatever reality is to us, there is another story lying underneath. There's a story behind the story. You know that with every good movie, right? It starts off, there's this kind of obvious uh, scene that sets up, but you know there's a story beneath the story. And that's where it really gets good. And is it possible that even in our rock bottom experiences, when the wheels come off, could there be a veneer that is covering substance lying underneath? The Apostle Paul who who a lot of you heard about, he wrote most in the New Testament, has a story, there's a story recorded about his journey that I want to share with you today. And I'm going to spend quite a bit of time on it because I think this is something that we can kind of learn from and see what happens because he was in a nightmare situation. Uh, The story is recorded in a a book in the Bible called Acts uh, in chapter 27. He's been arrested. He's a prisoner He's being transported to Rome where he's going to make an appeal before Caesar himself. He's shackled along with a bunch of other prisoners and they're on a grain freighter, this huge boat, okay? And it's headed to Rome. But this is a really bad situation for him and it's about to get worse. So let me just pick up the story and let's kind of walk through this together. And this is, I'm going to just start this off. They're on the ship and it turns off they're getting ready to sail in the fall of the year. And in the, if you know anything about sailing in the sea, it's like in the winter, it's, back then it's impossible. The weather gets so bad. And Paul warns them. He says, men, I can see that our voyage is going to be disastrous and bring great loss to ship and cargo and to our own lives also. But the centurion who was in charge, instead of listening to what Paul said, followed the advice of the pilot and of the owner of the ship. So Paul tried to warn them. They refused to listen. Since the harbor was unsuitable to winter in, the majority decided that we should sail on, hoping to reach Phoenix and winter there. This was a harbor in Crete, facing both southwest and northwest. So when a gentle south wind began to blow, they saw their opportunity. And so they weighed anchor and sailed along the shore of Crete. So, so far, so good. They got the gentle wind, wind's blowing in the right direction, and it looks like maybe Paul's concerns were not worth it. They take off, everything seems to be going well. Before long, a wind of hurricane force called the Northeaster swept down from the island. The ship was caught by the storm. It could not head into the wind, so we gave way to it and were driven along. As we passed to the lee of a small island called Cauda, we were hardly able to make the lifeboat secure. And so the men hoisted it aboard. And then they passed ropes under the ship itself to hold it together. I just want to say right now, when when you're listening to the story, I don't know what your mind is conjured up, like what the ship is. Here's the deal. It's a freighter. It's carrying grain. Okay, it's loaded with grain. And there were 276 men on this thing in addition. 
Think of it. This is 2,000 years ago. This is a big ship, all right? Because they were afraid they were run aground on the sandbars of Syrtis, they lowered the sea anchor and let the ship be driven along. We took such a violent battering from the storm that the next day they began to throw the cargo overboard. They're like, okay, this has come to this. We got to lighten this boat. On the third day, they threw the ship's tackle overboard with their own hands. And when neither sun nor stars appeared for many days and the storm continued raging, we finally gave up all hope of being saved. This is a big deal. And I don't know if you've ever been on a rough sea before. I've been deep sea fishing one time <laughs> and I thought it was bad. I got super sick. But this thing right here that they're dealing with, this is a life and death situation. And you've got to understand who's on this boat, right? A whole bunch of professional sailors, a bunch of hardened criminals, okay? And they have all lost hope, including Paul and Luke, the writer of this book. And a lot of you are feeling this way. I know you put your, some of you held your phone up. Some of you, the pain's so great, you didn't even get your phone out of your pocket. You're not playing this game. The lump turned out to be cancer. Your position was eliminated. Your spouse cheated on you. Your child struggling big time in school. No friends. Story continues. After they had gone a long time without food, Paul stood up before them and said, Men, you should have taken my advice not to sail from Crete, and then you would have spared yourselves this damage and loss. But now I urge you to keep up your courage, because not one of you will be lost. Only the ship will be destroyed. You're like, whoa, what are you talking about? What gives you the authority to say this, right? Last night, an angel of God to whom I belong and whom I serve stood beside me and said, do not be afraid, Paul. You must stand trial before Caesar and God has graciously given you the lives of all who sail with you. So keep up your courage, men, for I have faith in God that it will happen just as he told me. Now, if it's true that in the midst of our storms, our reality is we see one thing. We can see the storm. But if this is like a veneer and there's substance beneath, I just want to make a few observations that I've kind of learned in my life. And when I looked at this story in Scripture, I thought, oh my gosh, here it is. And I want to share them with you. And I hope this is encouraging to you. The first one is this, that in the midst of the storm, God is working. He's working. And I want to say to you that in storms, I'm talking the kind we're talking about today, the big ones, he does his very best work. Some of you have seen this in your life. You've been through a storm you would never want anybody to go through. But when you look back, you're like, oh my gosh, I'm telling you, that was unbelievably good for me. God can do his best work in the middle of the storm. And I want you to know, I've heard a lot of people say when storms, you know what, don't worry about it. God will be with you. And I, for me, that just isn't satisfying to just know God is with me. It sounds passive. It sounds uncaring. It sounds unresponsive, quite frankly, to me. 
But to know that God is at work doing something in the storm, that's very different than he's just there. Romans 8.28, this is written by Paul, the guy we're talking in the story. Listen to what he says. We know that in all things, all things, so he's talking about storms. He's not good, bad, ugly. All things, God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. For those God foreknew, in other words, he knows your story. He knows who you were before you were even born. That's what's so amazing about the creator. Those he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed, changed, transformed to the image of his son. See, it sounds a lot like our mission statement at Kensington. To see everyone what? Transformed. Transformed. To take a person who's like a human being and have them become more like the image of God, who we were created to be. See, God is working in storms. One of the greatest truths I've learned over the years is that the only reality we have is in the present. It's only right here. See, I can't live and have, I can't do anything about what happened to me a year ago. I can't do anything about what happened to me yesterday. And all the things I'm worried about, like for next week or next year or 10 years from now, I can't live in that place. Think about it. The only place I can touch reality is where? Right now. This minute. That's my only reality. And I want to say to you, in your present trouble, God is working. And this is the next thing. And in that midst of the storm, we are invited to join him in that work. See, he's just not working and keeping us separate. He's doing something amazing, his best work, and he's going to invite us to be a part of it. God is saying, I know this is hard. He has empathy with us. He's proven it. Jesus came to this earth and suffered by choice for us. He gets it. He's been in our shoes. He says, but trust me, what you see is just a veneer. See, I'm doing something profound here, and I want you to be present. I don't want you to worry. don't want you to be out two weeks ahead, three weeks ahead. don't want you to blame. I want you to live with me in the present, because that's your only reality. It's where you and I, Jesus is saying, that's where you and I can connect. See, he can't connect with us two years from now, but he can connect with you today. And it's where my power, Jesus says, becomes your power. You may say, well, how could I possibly do anything? How could I be invited to participate in anything? I got nothing. I'm afraid. I'm freaked out. I'm broken. I'm broke. I'm embarrassed. I'm exhausted. I'm empty. I'm alone. I got nothing. Here's Paul in another letter to his friends at another church. This is what he says. This is what Paul said. He pleaded with God to take from him one of the storms in his life. Something was tormenting him. And this was God's answer to him. He says, Paul, my grace is sufficient for you. For my power 
is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, Paul says, I will boast all the more gladly about my weaknesses so that Christ's power can come. That is why, for Christ's sake, I delight in weaknesses, in insults, in hardships, in persecutions, in difficulties. For when I am weak, when I'm at the bottom, rock bottom, that's when I'm strong. That's what Paul is saying. And I just want to say to you, Mark Nelson, I'm terrible at this. I don't, I don't do real well at first rejoicing in catastrophe. Is there anybody else in the room like me? This is crazy talk. But Paul has discovered a secret in his life. And I'm telling you, the secret is available to you. And I've tasted it too. And this is it. In the midst of the storm, we are strong. In our weakest place, we're the strongest. When we've got nothing, we have everything. You say, how is that possible? How many of you have ever had a huge project, let's say, that, that you had to do at work or maybe at school, and, there's a, and it really is on your shoulders, and you're going to have to perform really well to pull this off, uh, and you're nervous. You've been anxious about it. You're not sleeping. You've got a couple weeks. And then, has this ever happened? Like two days before it, you get incredibly sick or you get diagnosed with something. You've got to go to the doctor, and you can't do it. Has that ever happened to any of you? It's happened to me before. It's happened to me at Kensington. Even when I, was, when I was really hurting my back, I had back surgery and I was out and I was supposed to speak and all of a sudden I had surgery and I was like, hey, cool, I'm off the hook. And I rem- seriously, in those moments, I remember this like huge weight falling off because there's nothing I can do about it. Have you ever tasted that before? Where it's like, it's not what you wanted. You thought it was all up to you, but then you realize, hey, there's nothing I can do about it. And guess what? Everybody else knows there's nothing I can do about it. I'm off the hook. And you have this unbelievable sense of relief. Why? Because in that moment, there's, you have no control over the situation. Am I right? But what's funny is, the truth is, we never have control over anything anyway. But it's almost like in this place where we're weak, God can take us to a place where we realize who's in control. And there's a freedom there. There's a strength there where our capacity, what we have to bring to the table, isn't the question. And it becomes God's capacity and God's power, which I just got to say, my power compared to God's power, he wins every time. So when I'm weak... I'm strong. In the midst of your storm, you really are strong. Doesn't feel like it. Doesn't look at it when you're looking at the veneer on the surface. But that's the way it is. Let me just continue the story. These men are super discouraged and the storm doesn't give up. The last 14 days. They have no hope. They're barely able to eat anything. And they get to a point where they finally see land and they decide to cut the anchors loose so that they'll just be pushed into the sand and hopefully be able to escape before the ship is obliterated by the waves on the surf. And if you guys have been at the ocean in a big storm, that's what happens. Well, that's what happens when a ship gets caught on the rocks or on the shore on a sandbar, right? The waves come in and just blow it apart. That's exactly what happens here. 
But what, what I want to do is, I, I know these stories are hard to kind of picture because it was so long ago. So I want to show you a video that will give you a little idea of kind of reality of what this area looks like. And um, we're going to actually look at an archaeological find just recently uh, that correlates with the story. And before we do that, um, ushers, I'd love to have you come down. We're going to take our offering as we watch watch this video. Um, and I just, I just want to say again, I just thank you so much for those of you that were Kensington um, has really become your family on mission. And we're so many of you. I just filled out a ton of notes this week saying thank you to so many of you uh, for just your continued generosity as like we're all trying to, you know, learn how to live open-handedly with our limited resources, believing that God will actually provide for us and that we can be a blessing to this world and don't have to keep, you know. So I just, you guys, when you do that, it's such an encouragement to me and Callie. Uh, so I just want to say thank you for that. And for those of you that are visiting, don't feel compelled uh, or, you know, you just you're our guest. We appreciate you being here. But let's watch this video. Um, it's, it's about a guy named Mark. Um, and who, is a, who lives on the island of Malta, where this ship actually uh, crashed that Paul was on. Well, hey, Mark, thank you so much for taking the time to be with us. This means a lot to us. We're super excited to talk to you today. Can you give us a sense of when you knew that this discovery might be from Paul's shipwreck on the island of Malta? When I discovered the anchor and brought it up and uh, discovered the uh, inscriptions on it, because this is why this anchor is a bit unique, uh, it has two gods, uh, Egyptian gods embossed coming out of the lid on each side, Isis and Serapis. This is a, a replica of a Roman anchor. The lead stock at the top is what is discovered. So, in the case of the Isis Serapis anchor I, I, I found on the seabed, uh, this weighs one ton. The size of the anchors shows that it was a very, very big ship, and by Roman standards, and we have to remember that St. Paul was on a ship that carried 276 men. We have this in the Acts of the Apostles. A lot of scholars and archaeologists believe that Salina Bay would be the the shipwreck site, and that we have enough evidence now to prove that uh, it could have happened in, in that area. Can you give us an idea, what is the significance of Paul and his journey, and specifically this shipwreck, to the people in the island of Malta? Can you give us a sense of what that means to you there? The shipwreck of St. Paul on Malta was when uh, Malta sort of found its heritage. First of all, you have to remember that this is a tiny island, just 17 miles long with, by 15 miles wide. We have 359 churches. That's more than one church a day. Uh, there's a church per square kilometer, which is less than a square mile. So you can imagine how densely populated, how Christianity was influenced uh, this country. When Paul came to Malta, it's not just Christianity that was made. It unified the country as a nation. One of my favorite parts of your story is that at some point, the Pope himself got involved. Can you tell us what happened there? Pope Benedict immediately became very interested in it. He's a brilliant theologian, uh, and very few know that he also is a keen uh, archaeologist himself. 
a request from the Vatican that His Holiness would like to inspect this anchor. He said, is this coming from an Egyptian grain ship? And I remember telling him, Your Holiness, um, we can't say for sure, but there are the inscriptions. And I remember him touching my elbow and saying, yes, Isis. And I was speechless. <sighs> it's true, the Pope did read the, the reports and he did have a personal interest and he did really uh, ask to see uh, the anchor. Mark, there are a ton of skeptics out there and people who just aren't sure the Bible is true and really question that. How do you feel like this discovery would really help those who are skeptical and really aid in the validity of the Bible and particularly this story? Skeptics will say, will always doubt the, uh, the Holy Bible. Um, what proof do we have? When you weigh all the evidence, nothing compares to the artifacts that were found outside Salina Bay. And then when you compare those artifacts with what is written in the Acts of the Apostles by Luke, and what was found on land, it all fits like a glove. It all makes a lot and a lot of sense. And we can honestly say that we know more or less what happened, that what is written in the Acts of the Apostles is all true as the way Luke experienced it and the way he wrote it in the Acts of the Apostles. Mark, I can't imagine what it must have felt like to make this discovery personally. So help us understand, what has this meant to you and your personal faith journey as you made this unbelievable breakthrough? There's a lot to Paul that, that as such, bringing Christianity to us who weren't from the chosen people and who brought Christianity to the rest of the world. And I got to admire Paul now more than obviously before. And... Uh, obviously, finding something that proves that the Bible is real um, makes a difference to, in one's life. The discovery has definitely improved my, my faith and uh, solidified, consolidated more what, um, what, what I've always believed in. Mark, we are so grateful for the time that you took to spend with us today. And we are so excited to see what happens with your documentary and the book that you've written. And we wish you all the best in the future. Thanks again for being with us. Thank you very much for giving me this opportunity to share the story on the other side of the world in such a big country when we're so tiny over here. Um, and God bless all the people who are hearing me. And God bless America and the Americans. Loved, enjoyed this, doing this very much. Thank you. He's a really sweet guy. Um, I just thought, I thought you would enjoy seeing that to kind of give your perspective. And uh, it's kind of interesting too. We just aren't privy to this all the time, but every once in a while, there are these archeological finds that just keep coming, keep coming. And quite often they actually line up with what with the historical events of scripture, which is just really powerful. You can see how, how powerful it was for Mark, even though they can't prove for sure that anchor was the anchor of Paul because it doesn't have his signature on it. There's an awful lot of proof that would suggest that that could indeed be the anchor. So I just, I thought you'd enjoy seeing that. Let me come back to our story. Okay. So Paul is coming up. They've been in this thing for a couple weeks. There is no hope. What happened is, is they cut those anchors, like I said, and maybe that's one of them, right? And they came into the shore, but before they hit the shore, sure enough, they hit a sandbar. 
and the, the surf began to blow that boat apart. So the guys jumped out, the ones that could swim, swam to shore, to Malta, and the others grabbed onto a piece of driftwood or whatever and floated, and the account is that all 276 made it to the island. Now what's interesting, when they got to the island, uh, the people on Malta treated them very kindly. It says it was, you know, it was still storming, it was raining, it was cold, it was, it was like November, all right? So super, super chilly. And uh, they were building a fire. The story continues. Paul gathered a pile of brushwood, and as he put it on the fire, a viper, driven out by the heat, fastened itself on his hand. When the islanders saw the snake hanging from his hand, they said to each other, Yeah, this guy must be a murderer, for though he escaped from the sea, the goddess Justice has not allowed him to live. So I... I don't know. Those of you that are in these storms, have you ever found that when it rains, it what? It pours. I mean, it's just weird, isn't it? It's like one thing happens, and then when you barely think you can even take another step, the next blow. <laughs> Paul has got to be thinking, are you kidding me? He gets hit by the snake. So I, I want to, again, these are the points we make. God is working. He's inviting us to be in this journey where he's doing this work. We're stronger than we know. And the next thing is, never give up. Never give up when you're in a storm. One of the most critical things we can do in a storm is to persevere. Our time is not the same as God's timing. I remember as a kid, the first time I heard that famous Winston Churchill speech, and there's some debate exactly on what he said, but in 1941, it goes something like this. Never give up. Never give up. Never, 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 four times, in nothing small, large, or petty, never give up. It was this war cry, right, for his people as they were being, you know, attacked by, by the German army. Staying in the game is absolutely critical. If we bail too early, we may never see what God was up to all the time. I mentioned at Easter, I'm reading a book by Erwin McManus called The Last Arrow. If you're looking for a good read, pick it up, seriously. And there's a quote that jumped out that I, that I remembered from when I read it, and I grabbed it um, this week as I was preparing. Erwin says, I wonder how many victories are lost before the battle has ever begun. Think about that. How many victories were lost before the battle has ever begun? It's like people didn't stay in it. He goes on, I wonder how much more God desires to usher into the world that has been thwarted by our own lack of ambition. I wonder how many times in my own life I thought I failed, but actually the only thing that happened was I quit. I, I remember times in my life when I put that label on myself as a failure or that idea was a dumb idea and it failed. And what Erwin is saying here, no, it really wasn't failure. You just quit before it was actualized. Does that make sense? That resonate? This is a big deal. Something we have to remember is we're in the storm. Our timing is not God's timing. Don't give up. Stay in the game. story. Paul shakes off the snake into the fire and suffered no ill effects. 
The people expected him to swell up or suddenly fall dead. But after waiting a long time and seeing nothing unusual happen to him, they changed their minds and said, he's a God. Now here's something, and this is a big one, that I want you to understand when you're in the midst of a storm. When you're in the midst of a storm, people are watching. People are watching you. If cancer has struck your, fa- your family, people are watching you. If you just lost your job, they're watching your journey. People are watching. When we are suffering, when we're really hurting, when we're at our weakest point, there is never a time that we have a louder or more respected voice. Think about that. Think about the heroes of our day, the sports stars, the movie stars, and you're kind of like, when everything's together and we're looking at their $10 million homes and all that kind of stuff, we're kind of like, you know, okay, whatever. And then tragedy strikes and all the networks show up, don't they? Because now we're getting real. You know what I'm talking about? It's the same thing for us. God, this is a great quote. I love this by C.S. Lewis. God whispers to us in our pleasures, speaks in our consciences, but shouts in our pains. It is his megaphone to rouse a deaf world. Have you ever heard that quote? Let me just say it. It's so good. When God whispers to us in our pleasures, speaks in our consciences, but shouts in our pains. It is his megaphone to rouse a deaf world. I want to add this, that what we do while we're in our pain, what we do in the midst of our storm is a megaphone to the rest of the world. Our response to the storm is a megaphone because you have more street cred when you're suffering than ever before. People are watching so interesting. Uh, my job for so many years at Kensington was to lead the services, what we did in the services. And our mission statement I've shared with some of you before was to create moments in services, right? To create moments for people to engage with God. And, and I think we were able to do that. You know, we did this for lots of years. Uh, I had a lady come up to me and just say, thank you so much for Easter. It was a powerful, I have a few people say that there were moments in that service that for them were very powerful. They felt like God moved them. And so when I look back over the years, I'm like, wow, God has been able to use that gift in a lot of people's lives. But you know what's interesting? When I adopted children, And it was this wonderful, beautiful thing, right? This new family, but it was also very complex. And there was a lot of hurt in there and a lot of dysfunction, a lot of, right? And I just remember I would be walking through Target and people are watching me. And I began to realize that, oh my gosh, I think maybe in this vulnerable, broken, messed up, weak place that I'm in now, I may be having more of an impact in the world than I did when I had this big program going in church services. Have any of you ever felt that before? I'm just saying, when you're in the midst of the pain and we're looking at the veneer and we're going, why? And God is saying, trust me in this. 
I'm doing some of my best work because when we're there, you've got cred that you just don't have when your act is all together. Baptisms are happening next weekend on this stage. And it's a chance where people have been going through life on their own, and then it intersects, their life intersects with Jesus Christ. And they put their trust in him. And as a result of that, they want to make a public declaration like, hey, I'm all in with Jesus. That's what baptism is. But you know what's so great about it is? It's this. Because we tell their stories. So what are they doing? They're saying, man, this is who I was. And we get to see the brokenness and the pain that was there and how Jesus entered and has begun a transformation process, begun a healing process. And we sit there and we're like, oh my gosh, it's incredible. It's powerful. I just want to say to you, if you in the last several months or last year, or maybe you've trusted Jesus, but you've never had the chance or taken the opportunity to share your story, do it. Because you literally have a megaphone to us. We need your story. We need to hear your brokenness and how Jesus moved into that and has brought you life to the full. You're not perfect. We know that. But look what God is doing. We need to see that because you have credibility as you share from weakness. One of our values at Kensington is what? To lead from, say it, brokenness. That's a value of ours. Because you know who demonstrated that? Jesus. When he left heaven to come to earth, choosing to suffer for us. So that he could empathize with us. So he could live in our shoes. So that he could talk with us. So he could understand us. So I just want to say, take advantage of that. Go starting point table. When you get done here and say, you know what, I've been putting this off. And share your story. We need that message. We're watching. People are watching. Story goes on. There was an estate nearby on this island of Malta that belonged to Publius, the chief official of the island. He welcomed us to his home and showed us generous hospitality for three days. Now listen, his father was sick in bed, suffering from fever and dysentery. Paul went in to see him and, after prayer, placed his hands on him and healed him. And when this had happened, the rest of the sick on the island came and were cured. They honored us in many ways, and when we were ready to sail, they furnished us with the supplies we needed. Here's another thing when you're in the midst of the storm there is blessing. There's blessing. You say, what do you mean, blessing? In our pain, first of all, I'm telling you, I've experienced, as I know a lot of you have, you will experience Jesus in a more intimate way than you ever did when everything was going like this. Anybody can attest to that with me? When you're really hurting and you fall at his feet and get honest and real with him, that he comes in and meets you in a way that is so powerful and so beautiful and so intimate, that's a blessing. Without the storm, you'll never experience it. But it doesn't end there. We are blessed by those around us when we're in a storm. In this family, in this Clarkston community, I've watched it a hundred times. 
I've seen people, regardless of what it is, sickness, lack of work, kids that are struggling, whatever. And I've watched this family come around and encourage and bring meals and pray for and celebrate with. If we're not in the storm, we're like, hey, man, I got this. I'm good. Just kind of doing our own thing. You get in a storm, your family will come around you and you'll experience community the way it was meant to be. There's blessing in the midst of a storm. It doesn't stop there. Because when you are in a storm now, like I mentioned, Jesus, when he was in the storm, part of it was is now he has empathy with us. Have you ever had a person that's struggling and you have no idea, you've never had anything to do with this, you don't know what to say. I don't have anything to say. I can't relate to this. But if you've been there, a lot of you held up your phone and you said you've walked through someone uh, that you love that's had cancer. I'm telling you, if you've had cancer, you know what to say to that person, don't you? It's a totally different ball game. There's a blessing that comes through your brokenness to another person that you just can't give if you've not been in a storm. One last point about storms. And hear me on this one. Storms are temporary. They don't last forever. They may last a very long time. They may last a lifetime. But listen to me. A lifetime on this earth is a blink of an eye in eternity. And I'm telling you, I'm banking my life on this. And a lot of you in this room are, scripture's clear. I believe that Jesus' resurrection was true. I believe that there is life forever with him. And this storm that you're in is temporary. It will not last forever. And on the other side of the storm, there is eternal glory magnificence, beauty, purpose, honor, strength. This is one of my favorite verses. Paul again, writing to another group of friends at a different church. He said, for God, who said in creation, this is a creation, right? Let light shine out of darkness. God creating the world. He says, that God, made his light shine in our hearts to give us the light of the knowledge of God's glory displayed in the face of Christ. Okay, so he's saying we have an opportunity to see the glory of Christ. He's making that available to us. But he says we have this treasure in what? Jars of clay, mud, mundane, broken, non-inspiring human flesh. That's what he's saying. This glory, this light that he has is in a jar of clay. Why? To show that this all surpassing power, this strength that we have in the storm is not from us. It's from God. We are hard pressed on every side. You guys that held your phone up, you got it coming, man. It's happening. Hard pressed on every side, but not crushed. Perplexed, have no idea what the future holds, but not in despair. Persecuted, but not abandoned. Struck down, but not destroyed. 
We always carry around in our body the death of Jesus so that the life of Jesus may also be revealed in our body. What do you mean the death of Jesus? There's a couple different ways. It could be, the death could be something completely out of control, like cancer. I have no choice in the matter. And I'm experiencing this. It could be a death in us as a result of our own decisions. We've all been there and living with those consequences. It could be that you've chosen to take the burden of another and sharing in the suffering of Jesus Christ for another person. But regardless, this living in brokenness and surrender and weakness and humility and suffering is the magic. This is the magic that allows the light and the power of Christ to be seen in the most beautiful way. Through your brokenness. Therefore, we do not lose heart. Though outwardly we are wasting away, yet inwardly we are being renewed day by day. For our light and momentary troubles, see, not forever, our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs all the storms. This is God's promise to us. So we fix our eyes on what is not what on what is seen but on what is unseen. Since what is seen is temporary, but what is unseen is eternal. We're going to sing a song in just a moment. It's meant a lot to me over the last couple of years. I've played it hundreds of times. I'm not joking. Hundreds of times, sometimes 10 times in a row. Because what I'm trying to do, the reason you say, well, why? You like it that much? No, not really. It's not that I like it. It's because I'm trying to fix my eyes on what is eternal. On Easter Sunday, I said the most spiritual thing you can do today is choose. That's what I'm doing. When I listen to the song we're going to play, it's the, the song is, it is well. It is well with my soul. Because I have to listen to it. If I listen to the song and I'm still anxious and torn up inside, then I hit replay. And I listen to it again. And I cry out to God. And I go again. And sometimes it takes me nine, ten, eleven. Sometimes it takes me hours and the funny thing is, I'll get to a place where I actually have fixed my eyes on him and I believe, I've actually believed that he's who he says he is and an hour later, I'm right back. Can you attest to that? I'm just telling you, this is what we can do though. In your storm, live in the present. God is working. He's inviting you to be a part of it. You're stronger than you think. So don't give up. People are watching. And there will be great blessing as a result. Let's pray. Oh God. These storms we're in, they're real deal. And we're in pain. And we don't know where to turn. We know it's you, but we're even afraid to go there. So we're not, if we're honest, we're not sure you're going to do anything about it.
And I just pray, God, even as we listen to the storm kind of looming right now, God, that you would meet us where we are and that we would stay in it long enough to experience your presence in the present. That we would meet you and experience your power and your healing in the midst of our storm. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.
eyes are on you And through it all, through it all it is well And through it all, through it all My eyes are on you And it is well with me trying to sugarcoat that and say, hey, put a smile on your face. Everything's going to be fine. It's not that. It's looking at straight in the face for everything it really is and more. What it is and more what God has in that. I would just say don't be alone in this. If you're looking for a family, we'd love to try to be that for you. Get connected with us. Go to starting point. Step in. Get in a small group. Join a team of people that you could start to build friendships with. Be in this with others um, and experience this transformation that God does, even in these worst of times. We're all in them with you. Okay? If any of you would love just somebody to pray for you, just you don't even have to tell us all the details, but if you'd like some encouragement, a few of us will be down here. We'll just meet with you. We'd love to do that. Pray with you. Uh, And I just pray the Lord's richest blessings to you and your family this week. All right? Thank you so much. We'll see you.